0: Well, hello and welcome to Voice of the Church. I'm Pastor Ryan Swale, and I hope over the next few weeks to consider the opening verses of Matthew's Gospel, where he gives us the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Like a multifaceted diamond, this genealogy shows us many different aspects of who Christ is, so we'll consider uh, those things over the next four weeks. Uh, But First, let's read Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, beginning at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, these are the very first words of the New Testament. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah and Solomon the father of Rehoboam and Rehoboam the father of Abijah and Abijah the father of Asaph and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram Joram the father of Uzziah Uzziah the father of Jotham and Jotham the father of Ahaz and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David, were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, as I said, we could consider this passage from many different angles, and one of those angles is the kingship of Christ as the son of David. It's interesting how Matthew begins his gospel by identifying Christ in that very first verse as the son of David. And that's interesting because chronologically, it would make sense to identify him first as the son of Abraham, who comes 1,000 years earlier and is listed first in this genealogy. But Matthew doesn't do that. He calls Jesus the son of David which is something of a theme in Matthew's gospel, where David's name is mentioned more than any of the other gospels, where Christ is called the son of David more than all of the other gospels combined, and his kingship is proclaimed from the very outset of his ministry. Matthew 4, verse 17, Jesus says, "'Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand.'" Matthew 4.23 tells us that Christ went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That was the content of his message. And so this kingdom theme runs all throughout Matthew's gospel from the Magi who will come and proclaim him king of the Jews in the next chapter. All the way to the end of the gospel where Christ is crucified with a mock scepter in his hand, a crown of thorns is placed upon him, and then the very last words of Jesus in Matthew 28, he proclaims that all authority has been given to him, for he is indeed the king with Christ, the promised kingdom of the Old Testament has come. The promise that David's son will sit on his throne is finally realized. And Matthew emphasizes this, uh, not not just in the fact that even though David comes 1,000 years after Abraham, he's listed first, but David's name is mentioned five more times in this opening chapter. Uh, Matthew is very concerned that that his readers understand that Christ is the Son of God of david he says his name twice in verse 6 he says it twice more in verse 17 again david is mentioned in verse 20 in fact when david is mentioned in verse 6 he is referred to not just as david but as david the king with a definite article not so with any other king in this genealogy but matthew is setting david apart And he does so further with his use of numbers, as he divides this genealogy into three groups of 14. And it's not that Christ's ancestry just conveniently works out that way, but we know from the other genealogies in the Old Testament that Matthew even omits certain names to get three groups of 14. And so he obviously has a, a theological agenda which has been explained by many through something called gematria, based on the assigning of a numerical value to each of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet consisted of, of just consonants, and each one was given a number. And the three consonants in David's name equal four, six, and four, giving a total of 14. And David is also 14th in the list, giving a sort of interpretive nudge in that direction that 14 has something to do with david that matthew's grand point in this genealogy is that jesus is the son of david the one who was promised in 2nd samuel chapter 7 that he is the legal heir to the throne of david and though matthew traces christ's genealogy through joseph who was not his father by blood that's insignificant in regard to Matthew's point because Matthew was not thinking according to modern DNA tests or to to something we might have like ancestry.com but but Matthew is making the point that Christ's legal ancestry legitimately makes him the successor to David's throne which is why the chapter we didn't read this but but the end of the chapter concludes with the adoption of Christ By Joseph, who takes Mary as his wife and then names her child. In so doing, bestowing upon Jesus the legal status of a descendant of David. Matthew is making the point in these opening verses that the king has come. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Matthew is setting the stage For the rest of the gospel showing us that Christ is king. Which means that you and I must respond to him by giving him our allegiance. By bowing our knee to the king for he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our allegiance. He he is not the kind of king that you want to disregard. but, But he is a good king. His kingdom is a heavenly kingdom which means that it is ruled by an entirely different set of standards. The ethics of his kingdom are an upside-down ethic in which meekness and turning the other cheek and all of those things that Christ describes in the Sermon on the Mount, those are the thing that's that's valued because that is who Christ is. He is the kind of king who eats with tax collectors and sinners. He is the kind of king who says, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. He's the kind of king who goes to the cross to die for the sins of his people, who, who promises to usher in an eternal kingdom where all things will be made new, and he gives us previews of that with the healings and miracles that he performs. Matthew is just beginning to unfold this theme of the kingdom of Jesus. And this kingdom that the genealogy of Jesus is anticipating, this kingdom that will be unfolded then throughout the rest of Matthew's gospel, is a kingdom for sinners. It is a kingdom of joy, and it is a kingdom of rest. It is a kingdom where this gentle and lowly king lays down his life for his people. And Matthew would have us then to respond to this king, not like the Jewish leaders who in the next chapter of Matthew's gospel will reject him, will be apathetic about the birth of this king. He would have us not to respond to the king like the Herod's who are threatened by him, or the Pharisees who think that they don't need him but rather like the magi who come from afar to worship him. Like the sick who know that he is their only hope. Like the weary who know that he gives rest. Like the sinners who come to have their sins forgiven by this one who is called in Matthew 11, a friend of sinners. The king that Matthew is presenting is the king of an entirely different kind of kingdom. This king will be crowned, not with a crown of glory, but with a crown of thorns. And he is urging us to respond to this king in worship. He is calling us to respond to this king in faith. He calls him at the end of Matthew chapter 1, God with us. And so this king is divine. And so, dear listener, I urge you uh, not to respond to this king in disinterest and apathy. I urge you not to respond to this king with a mere sentimentality that lasts through December, um, not in using him for what you might get out of him, but in confessing your allegiance to him, saying, I want to be part of this kingdom because this king is worthy of my worship that is what Matthew is driving out in this genealogy that we might respond to this presentation of the son of David by saying I want to be part of this kingdom because this king is worthy of my worship may that be true of all of us this season thank you for listening and may God bless you